the Lord, and I need to talk to the Lord to you. So I, I want you to know that this is led by God's Spirit. And this is his journey, and I just want you to pray while he speaks. Thank you so much. If you come to me, you'll never thirst, for I will provide you with living water. Thus says the Lord. Happy Sabbath. You know, uh, I didn't know Joe was going to introduce me. Um, but, you know, he is right. You know, ten years ago, you know who I absolutely hated more than anyone else in the world? Just just like petting the dog the wrong way. Just like, ugh, it was so aggravating. I hated pastors. I hated them. Because they were so smiley and nice and genuine and they wanted to help and they wanted to do things for you. And they always had the right things to say. And I couldn't stand it. In a couple of weeks, I'm entering seminary courses to become a pastor. Amen. That's what the gospel can transform in our lives. Amen. You know, um, I was up here a year and a half ago. I gave like a third of a sermon. And um, there are a couple other young men in our church who were doing other parts. And um, it was really bad. Like, it was, it was one of the worst things I've ever spoken in front of people. It was, I, was, I was monotone. I, was, I mean, worse than right now. Like, I didn't articulate. It was so bad. Like, I forgot half of what I wanted to say. The other half was something else. And, um, you know, afterward, it was so strange because I was standing up by the door, you know, requisite handshakes, etc., and everyone responded to me in the exact opposite way of what they should have for how poorly I did. They, they thanked me for what I said, and they really meant it. I mean, I had quite a few people that came up. They gave me the supercharged bear hugs, you know, and picked me up, a couple of them. And that's, I mean, that's a feat. And, um, you know, obviously a number of people had been crying. A couple of people were crying as they thanked me for what I said and just assured me that it was precisely what they needed to hear and that they could relate and, you know, I was very happy that it went well, but I had no idea what had happened. And then I didn't know until the next week when I went back and listened to the recording. And I knew that it was my voice, but I had never heard that message before. And that was someone else who had been speaking that day. And here's my point. We need to let Jesus in to speak, and we need to let him in to listen. And let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for letting us call you Father, for being our Father who is in heaven. God, thank you so much for from the beginning of creation you made this Sabbath day for us to come to you, for us to come to each other. And God, please, as we sit here and I, I speak your words and others hear your words, please let them be your words and not my own. Please decrease me so that you may increase. Please be my strength. Be, let your strength live in me in my weakness. And uh, please be with everyone here today that they might hear what they need to hear so that you will speak to them and also that you would listen through them and that your will would be done this morning. We pray these things in your everlasting name. Amen. 
And yes, I have papers because I can't memorize sermons. Yes, sorry. Um, so you've ever had a, a knock on your door, you're walking through the parking lot, and someone comes up to you and they ask you, you know, well, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And maybe they're, they're dressed in, you know, black tie, white shirt, maybe they're just whoever. But I would suggest something, that whatever your answer is or was or wouldn't be, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter because they're not asking you the right question. The question to ask is not, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? But do you accept Jesus? Not have you accepted him at some point in the past, but do you accept your Savior right now? In this moment, behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock at this very moment. Do you open the door of your heart to me? Do you let me in? Not yesterday, not tomorrow, not five minutes from now, because five minutes from now is not guaranteed, but right now. You know, we talk a lot about Jesus being our Savior, and I think a lot of times we kind of imply, like, you know, we're talking about eternal salvation, things in the future, things a long way off. And, um, you know, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. But I think the thing that we often forget is that the only difference between eternal life and this life right now is the difference between now and later. But the thing is, on top of that, that God, he created time. And time works for him. He invented it. So what does that mean? But for God, there is no difference between now and later. So that means that there is no difference between life everlasting and life right now, with one exception, with one possible exception. And that exception is that we can reject it, that he gives us the choice to reject the life that he has given to us. And that's the question that he has for us in every single moment. Do we accept him? Or do we reject him? Now, I know that Jesus, he is your Savior right now. And that is the question. He's also my Savior. See, 35 years ago, roughly, there was a baby boy. And um, this boy was crying quite a bit, like other children. Um, you know, see, this boy was born... Two months early, you know, he was small, he wasn't terribly healthy. I mean, premature babies tend not to be right. And he had this very particular heart defect. And um, after a couple of weeks in the hospital, he, um, he didn't make it. <sighs> Ten years later, another baby boy was born. The same mother, two months early, same heart defect. That baby is the one standing in front of you speaking right now. So I know that from the very beginning, Jesus has been my Savior because from the very beginning, he saved me. And he has done so over and over and over again. But he is asking you and me right now, again, in this very moment, this second, do you accept him as your Savior? You know, a few years ago, my grandma was out. She was running errands and she'd been out for you know most of the day, so... The evening sun is getting really low. And you know when you're driving, it just gets in your eyes. And you're like, ah, I can't see anything. When she see just enough, she could see this white car that was ways away down coming in the way off. And she's pulling out of the parking lot. 
and um, just keeps pulling out like normal. And out of nowhere, this something hits the back driver's side of her car. This car spins around, right, skids to a stop. She sees this little asphalt-colored sports car thing off to the side. Like, it was basically invisible, especially coming this way the sun was. Okay, this is here between 40 and 50 miles an hour. Okay, the impact was so violent, and not only totaled the car, she was wearing a pendant around her neck, and it broke the chain and flung the pendant across the car. Now, her injuries, she didn't have any. So her Jesus saved her that day. And he is asking each and every one of us to let him save us for eternity. But will you let him? And that is the question again. And still, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And I also get thirsty. Uh, maybe 10 years ago, I was on a Boy Scout trip up in the mountains in the middle of winter. And um, during the daytime, it was really great. Like we had toboggans and sleds and we were digging snow caves and we had throw ball, throw ball fights, snowball fights, which we threw. And um, I don't know, I spent a couple hours digging into the ice in this lake, all this great stuff. But then the evening started to set and it started to snow and it snowed and it snowed. And it snowed, like it just snowed, because that's what it does when it's snowing, it snows. And see, I just had this like $40 Walmart tent, right? It should never have even been up there, let alone in the winter. And um, there's three other guys in it, two other guys, sorry. And, um, you know, so we know like, hey, this is not going to hold up to all this snow. So we put up these, these shovels and these poles and these ropes and all sorts of stuff to deflect the snow off of the thing. And um, it worked. It worked really well. It's going everywhere. It's catching here and there. And like, okay, we'll be safe for the night. And um, we go in. We go to sleep. And then, strangely, not strangely, I have this dream where I'm just screaming and screaming and screaming. It was a really stupid dream, too. I don't know why I was screaming in it. But I was screaming. My real self was screaming. Night terrors, they call them. So I wake up. And uh, one of the guys that was in the tent, in fact, he's here today, his face is like this over my face. And he's super concerned. I'm like, what in the world? Like, dude, that's my personal space. And I just woke up. Like, what are you doing? And then I see right behind his head is the ceiling of the tent. Now, mine is a four and a half foot high tent. And it was resting on the back of his head. So clearly something was wrong. I start looking around. I see that the, the walls of the tent have been shredded, that the tent poles have shattered, and snow has come in and melted and refrozen, and everything is just like with snow. And I'm like, okay, so I'm super grumpy. I start to go out, and I open the door, and more snow comes in, and I'm digging, and I'm digging, and I'm digging, like through feet of snow to get out of this thing. And, um, you know, that's really not good by the way, because snow is not terribly breathable. And um, so what had happened was up the hill a ways, the snowplow had come through the parking lot and just flung all the snow down on our campsite. And then the stuff we had over the tent actually funneled and caught and funneled more snow, and then it collapsed onto the tent, and the whole thing just... And, and we were asleep. And if we had stayed asleep, this is about 1.30 in the morning, I'm not sure that we ever would have woken up because we would have just quietly suffocated. But there was this dream that God gave me that I screamed and woke us up 
and we dug out, and we were fine. I mean, we were grumpy, but we were fine, and we're fine today. And um, so, you know, Jesus, he loves kids. He saves kids. So, again, the question is this. Will you humble yourself as a child before him? For such children are the kingdom of heaven. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And I have a bookmark, so I'm probably going to get there quicker, hopefully. We'll see. Uh, Matthew 14, verse 22. Okay, I'm just going to read through this and keep talking. So, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Well, he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. Now an evening came, he was alone there. But the boat the disciples were in was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary, and not working in the direction they wanted to go. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And so Jesus did. He said, Come. He said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, You little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? See, this, what had just happened earlier that day was you know, a miracle that we've heard about where Jesus, you know, the feeding of the 5,000 that it's called, but there were women and children also, so it was probably more like 15,000. And... Um, you know, these multitudes had followed Jesus out uh, when he was going to pray by himself. And it's starting to get evening, and the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, you know, they need to eat, so we should send them away so they can go eat. And uh, it's just like, well, you guys feed them. Like, we only have, like, a, five loaves and two fishes. Like, I mean, only John brought food. Like, what do you expect? And um, he says, well, bring it here. He prays over it, blesses it. And here, feed them. So the disciples go out and hand out this food, and they hand it out, and every one of these 15,000-plus people is full, and they have baskets and baskets and baskets left over, many more times left over than what they started with. Um, the point is, here's Peter doubting right after he very tangibly has participates in this obvious miracle. And the thing is, we do this all the time. We have... We participate and we have this doubt. So here's why. So anytime we do good for people, whether it's charity or ministry or just helping someone across the street or opening the door, whatever it is, okay, we're doing good. We're participating in the miraculous, as it says in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So, for instance, the guys who came out and helped me move all my stuff uh, last weekend, like, they were facilitating the work of Jesus. And, you know, really, like, I couldn't move that stuff by myself, and I really didn't want to. And, uh, you know, it's true, though. And when you think about it, you feel it. 
When you're genuinely serving God, you're genuinely serving his children and people, not for money or, or reputation or because you feel pressed into it, because you love the man who is love. It energizes you and you just want to. And that's because it's a miracle. So we take part, active part in miracles all the time. And we know God, or as John puts it in his first epistle, those who love God, or sorry, those who love are born of God and know God. But then we get all the stuff moved. Then we serve all the soup. We've given out all the sandwiches. We put away all the groceries and we go back to what it was that we were doing before. Materially oriented, mundane, regular. We go back across the ocean. We get in the boat and we go back to it because we're done with serving for a while. Right. I mean, we're done. So we're done. And within this, you know, storms come up. Difficult things happen in life. That's what they do. And it's not like they haven't weathered storms before. I mean, this one is not even that bad. So we're going along, managing on our own. We're going to spend more time with Jesus and doing his Father's will tomorrow, right? Like I've been, like I got my quota for the day. And um, we don't need Jesus yet. Like this storm, like we got this. We got this boat. We're experienced. And yet, you know, he's he's better off. We just left him on that island. We can just, he'll be fine there, and then we'll see him later. And it doesn't matter, you know, what the storm is in real life. You get in an argument with your best friend, or you can't pay the bills, or you're lagging on preparing a sermon, whatever it is. And um, we'll just talk to Jesus later. Then, all of a sudden, when we least expect it, he shows up. He shows up, and he's right there. And he's supposed to be on the other side. He's supposed to be waiting for us to go and be ready to do something again, right? But this, so we think, no, no, this can't be Jesus. It's the ghost, the spirit, some voice I shouldn't be listening to, despite there's a little voice in the back of our heads reminding us that he did say that those who love him will keep his word and that he and his father will love them in return and come and make their home with them. So what that means for us every day is that Jesus isn't just working out in the fields with us and sending us on our way. He's riding home in the car with us, and he's going to be there when we get there. And so he's there when we get there, and we act surprised. Like, well, you can't be here during the normal trials with me. No, you're for the crises and the ministry work and the churching. And, like, that's where you're supposed to be, Jesus. You can't be here in these regular times. I don't know how to take it. So, you know what? Prove it. Prove to me in my time and in my terms who you really are. Call me out on the water to you because... I need to see you do what I think you should do to show that you're you. But then he does. He does precisely that. He accepts our challenge to his power, knowing full well that we, like Peter, are in no way capable of keeping up our end of that challenge. See, again, like Peter, we we throw these things out that we know God technically can do. We kind of really probably think that he won't say, yeah, like I didn't even really get this finished until like after midnight. And he's still there and he's still with you. Thing is, though, we would never challenge God if we had any real question to who he is. Think about it. When Peter was still in that boat, if he had actually thought there was even a 1% chance that that thing out there was a spirit and not Jesus, he's not going to say, well, call me out to you because the spirit could just say, yeah, come on, the water's fine. And he steps out and he drowns. And that's it. Like, that's not 
how that works. That's not how we do that, but we feel like we still need to be in control. And so we put these things out there, say, God, you need to do this for me. Otherwise, you know, you're not God and I'm not listening because I'm not five. And so we never really question who God is, but we kind of throw tantrums and we act like we're questioning him. And we put him in a spot where it seems like we have to come out on top. Then it turns out that we're the ones who don't actually keep focused on him. It's not that he ever lost sight of us because he never, ever loses sight of us. And I would say he never, ever lets us go. But we can turn away and we start to sink. Because we've given up the boat that was keeping us up before when things were more manageable, which God also made for us, by the way. And now, unlike in the boat, nothing we can do will make any difference at all because we're out here on the water in the storm and we pigeonhole ourselves into having only one singular option and that is to keep our eyes deadlocked on Jesus. The problem is, at that point, you know, we are sinful creatures. So we can keep our eyes deadlocked on Jesus, but we will eventually falter. So a couple of months ago, I was on the way home from Stockton. I was getting off the freeway, and there was this homeless-ish guy on the corner. And there's always a homeless-ish guy on the corner, on that particular corner. And, um, you know, automatically, I'm, like, looking around my truck for granola bars and whatever I could hand out to him. But I knew it was kind of, um, like, I was just doing it as an exercise because I knew I didn't have anything. And then, you know, so I go through it, and then I'm like, okay, thousand-yard stare of shame crossing the corner, right? I mean, I think most of us probably have kind of know what I'm talking about. And, but then I remembered this great big grocery bag full of freshly prepared food that the woman I worked for had just made for me a little bit earlier that day. And by the way, Anita, you're awesome. Thank you for the food. Um, yeah. So I'm like, okay, here's this food. I'm hungry. He's probably hungry. So I'm you know, open the window, hand him this bag of food. And at first he's just really grateful. Like, as you would expect, like there's this huge bag. And, um, but then he starts looking through it, you know, kind of looking through it. And, um, like he's, I don't know, like it might be beneath him or something. And maybe it was just a judgment call on my part, but then he pulls out this jar and has this red stuff in it. And he's like, what's this? Like they're lentils. Like what? They're lentils. Lentils. Yeah. What's lentils? Well, they're kind of like a cross between a pea and a bean. And I kid you not, this, this totally took me by surprise. It was almost like he had this answer prepared. Like, I say bean, by the time I've said that, like, he's already like, oh, well, I don't like peas. You can have these. And, uh, and he hands the jar right back to me. Like, what kind of a beggar gets to be a chooser, right? <laughs> but this is exactly what we do with Jesus. Take any goal, okay, say climbing a mountain, running a marathon, losing weight. Um, you know, if you want to do it successfully, you can't just sit at the bottom or start at the start or the fat and look all the way to the top or the end and still expect to be able to do it because that end is impossible. You can't, you're here, like you can't just be over here. Like that's not how it works. And but then you're looking all the way up there and it's so far and it's so dizzying and you weigh so much and food is so good. And 
You can't. It's, just, it's too difficult. You can't do that whole thing. So then we start praying, but we don't pray exactly like we should. We're more like, Jesus, I want to climb that mountain, but I don't want to have to go a step at a time. Like, I want to run that marathon, but I want to sprint the whole thing because I'm not patient. And uh, I don't want it to be that far. Oh, it's so far. And, like, can I just get free liposuction and keep eating party-sized bags of Doritos for dinner? And, yes, yes, I have done that. Um, like, God, I, I know that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And, well, I'll take the path, but, Jesus, I really don't want to look into the light. No, no, Lord, I don't care. I don't even understand what, the, what it means to say that the lamp, that my eye is the lamp of my body. So, yeah, I want to see. But you know what? I want to behold the world. I want to behold darkness. I want you to call me out to you and have me walk on water. But I want to look to the storm instead of you. Can you please feed me, Jesus? I don't want those peas. The question is, what can we do? What options do we truly have? You know, we stepped out onto the water we turned to the storm instead of to our Savior, and we started to sink. What do we too often do? But we sink, and we sink, and we sink. Amidst the throes of our doubts, we would rather remain in control and sink under our own power than allow Jesus to save us with his. As James puts it, a man who doubts is like a wave driven and tossed by the wind, double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I partly wonder if he knew about this instance with Peter when he wrote that, but you know, it's true, isn't it? When we start to doubt God, we don't know who to follow anymore because we put in a wedge between that light and that path and what we can actually see. So when we start to doubt God in that gap, we choose to look at the storm We choose to follow ourselves, and we sink, and we sink, and we drown. (laughs) But we are not obliged to drown, because Jesus Christ died our death for us. He took that drowning for us, and we no longer have to suffer the death that is ours. So repent. Turn back to Jesus. Turn away from the storm. Turn away from the darkness. Realize that we can't climb the mountain or run the marathon. We can't lose weight and we can't behold the light. We can't walk on water on our own. But don't just turn to the waves and sink. Maybe the easy thing, the quick thing, the immediate thing, and the thing that feels comfortable. But no, realize that through Jesus we can do all of these things. Only through Jesus can we do anything. With man, anything is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Realize this and don't keep silent. Don't continue to sink, but cry out to our Lord. Lord, save me. Because immediately he will reach out and catch you. Immediately he will ask you with tears in his eyes, Oh, you of little faith, don't you know that I am with you? 
Don't you know that I will never leave you and I will not forsake you? Don't you know that I died for you? Don't you know that I love you? Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? So again, the question is this. Is Jesus right now your Lord and your Savior in this moment? Do you accept who he is? I want to leave you with this. So everyone can uh, take a hand or both hands and just kind of cup it in front of your mouth. It's going to be really stupid, but I'm doing it. And, uh, okay, that doesn't help much. And just try to breathe and try to catch your breath. Do it a couple times. It doesn't work, does it? It's absolutely impossible. But you know what? Daniel 5.23 says that God holds our breath in his hands. Our very breath. To think of the care, the attention, the tenderness, the love that he has to have beyond anything we can imagine to make this impossible possible. He holds our breath in his hands. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for being our Father whose hands hold our very breath. For being the Father who gave his Son to die for us so we, even when we are sinking, do not have to. That even when we are drowning, we can call out, Lord, save us. And immediately you will reach down your hand and catch us. God, thank you so much for getting us up every morning. Being with us, for living in us, for offering to us that those who love you and do your will and keep your word, that you and your Father will live with us. Thank you so much for sending your Spirit so that even when we know not what ought to, we ought to pray, the Spirit prays in us. God, thank you so much for never leaving us, never forsaking us, that you are the God who has faith in us. We pray these things in your everlasting name. Amen.